One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I want to welcome everybody to the Unimpressed Podcast. And today we have a guy calling in, and his name is Larry Lawton, and he is a jury robber. He was sentenced for four 12-year sentences, spent 11 in prison, and now he's redeemed himself and living in Florida. I want to welcome to the show. Larry, how you doing? Pretty good, John. Thanks for having me on. I'm an open book, literally. You know, when you're driving down this road or living down this road in New York City, you know, it's a very hard town. I lived in New Jersey for 12 and a half years and North Caldwell, New Jersey for 12 and a half years. And it wears on you a little bit and you have to survive. When you made that choice to steal jewelry, what was going through your head? Well, you know, John, I started out, I was, you know, associated with the Gambino crime family. My first robbery, I was in Florida at the time. And that's where my home base was. And I, my first robbery was actually a setup, an insurance job. What happened then was I made a lot of money, 150000 This is in 1989, I think it was 89, and 88 or 89. And I made 150000 my end. But I knew what happened. The owner wanted the insurance money. So he didn't know when I was going to do it, how I was going to do it, but I knew where the jewelry was going to be, how many employees were going to be in there, you know, the kind of schedule of things. So it was a setup. And But after that, I went wild. I robbed over 20 jewelry stores, 20 some, 22, uh, between 15 and 18 million. And uh, obviously, you're going to eventually get caught. Everybody does. And I ended up doing the four year, you know, 12 years. And my first prison was actually Atlanta, USP Atlanta, which was the worst prison in the country at the time. We had a murder a month for 18 months when I was in there. And that's not counting overdoses. That's not counting suicides, supposable uh, suicides. And, uh, you know, but you survive, you know, when you're a survivor, you survive. Now, were you fencing this jewelry for the mob or what was up with that? No, I mean, I was fencing it, obviously. And it was going to another, actually another mob family. And I then I would have to take the cut and give it to my bosses in the Gambino crime family. And uh, I got, usually it was about 10%. I mean, like that was the number I chose. And they didn't say how much, but if I made 400,000, I'm giving an envelope for 40,000. And that goes up the, cha- up the chain. And I was left alone. People ask you, why did you have to do that? Well, if you're in New York City and if you're getting rid of stuff, every other family there will find out what you're doing and they're going to take you hostage and they're going to get their money. And you don't need that. So, But you have the protection and the blessings of a family that you could be associated with. You're an earner. That's what it's called. And yeah. I was an earner. And this is, you know, I'm not a kid anymore, John. I'm 62. So, wow. you know, I just look young. but uh you know it's just the way it was back then it was really really strong the mob was very strong south florida when i moved to south florida it really was big i mean obviously it was drug trade going on this is the late 80s early 90s it was all drug money miami was all drug money my whole miami built on drugs so there's a lot of crime down here a lot of uh wise guys a lot of you know just straight hustles i used to call them not you know it wasn't a place you're gonna go like connecticut or something like that and just 
live your life. Jersey's like that. Jersey had a lot of that stuff going on back then too. Yeah, Jersey's a little different than New York. I mean, you, I mean, it's it's the same, but it's not. You know, if totally. you know somebody in Jersey, things <laughs> can get done. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know many people in Jersey, and uh, you're right, it's a different animal. You know, New York is just so off the hook, and it's very territorial. You know, when you ran in an area, you were with a certain family. You didn't go into other areas, especially for crime or anything like that. That was unheard of. That's why I never robbed a jewelry store ever. And I robbed all over the East Coast. I was the biggest jewel robber in the United States and on the East Coast. And I was on America's Most Wanted. I was on all these shows. And if you look, uh, I never robbed anywhere. The closest I ever robbed was Connecticut, uh, Maryland, and Georgia. You were doing Jersey? Nope, no. Jersey and New York was two places I was told to stay at. So, uh, for reasons of, of they're protected. Yeah. Jersey, South Jersey had the Philly mob protecting them. And that was the Nicky Scarf. Well, it was a little after Nicky. It was John Stanford after yeah. that. And, uh, but you didn't, you, go, you didn't cause a war. When you were in the city, who was running the show? Who was running the mob then? Well, our family, that's Castellano got killed in 85. Mm-hmm. So then John Gotti took over. Then John Gotti went to prison in 92. So mm-hmm. I, didn't get, I mean, I met him and stuff, but I didn't get to you know associate with him. I seen him in restaurants and, you know, I'm a kid. Well, kid, I was in my late 20s and then you shut your mouth. You know, you don't, you learn that early. When you grow up in the Bronx and Brooklyn in that area, yeah. you know what to do. If you don't, you're going to learn the hard way. And, you know, I didn't do that. Well, New York, even though it has, what, 8 million people in the boroughs, it's not that big of a town. Once you know once you know certain areas and certain players in town, it's not that big, surprisingly. Totally true. You know, you have Manhattan, Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island. And each one of them, each area, like Brooklyn, literally streets. Like, you'd know a Bensonhurst area, which is us. And then you talk about Dyka Heights is over there. And that was the Columbos. So you had certain areas that you knew where people were and where they're coming from. And you didn't step on people's toes. You know, people got killed a lot back then. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you had to really be smart. I mean, I had to leave New York after I got married for, you know, crime reasons. And then after I left New York, I mean, I was still associated, so they set me up at a pizzeria in uh, South Florida. And uh, that I turned into a hot diamonds and everything else you want to come out of that. I, I remember on a Friday, people would come in for pizza and say, get out of here. They go, what, aren't you open? I said, no. <laughs> you know, I had good pizza, too. Then I ended up burning it down. It's in my book, yeah. Redemption, actually, which I'm actually coming out. My book was written in, it's a bestseller, and it was uh, it was my whole life up till 2013. Well, I just wrote 30 more pages, two chapters more to fill in the gap from 2013 to 2023. And we got new cover and stuff. But it, it's like how YouTube came about, how I became an honorary police officer. Because that's not in the book, how I, I was recognized on, a, uh, on the Congress. I mean, who gets done that? I mean. And they're more criminals than me, so we know that. When did that, when you got out of prison, when did that take place when you got involved with law enforcement? Well, I ended up, when I got out of prison in 2007, 
I what am I going to do? I did have a law degree. I can't be a lawyer because I'm a felon, but I was offered jobs from law firms, you know, as a paralegal. I'm not the kind of guy to sit down. I ended up developing. It's a great story. I started my program. A friend comes to me one day and says, hey, Larry, I need a favor. I said, what the fuck? I just got out of prison. Leave me the fuck alone. You want to break somebody's legs? Because no, 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 no. He goes, I caught my 16-year-old kid smoking dope weed, and he told me, fuck you, dad. Where have you ever been? I said, your son told you that? I said, I'll talk to your son. I happen to be blessed. I had pictures of me in prison with gangsters and murderers and stuff. And back then you were allowed to have them. I still have them They're in my book. And I ended up, I said, I'll talk to him. The guy was a golf pro. I know him to this day. I walked to his house. He says, Larry, he goes, my kid's in there. I told me how to speak to you. He didn't know who I was. Nobody did. And I ended up going, I said, you told your father where the fuck he's been? Let me show you what the fuck I just got. That's the only person I did, John. That's it. Then I sat down and proceeded to show him pictures of people who are dead, people who are never getting out, you know, what they lose. And it, 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 it's really not about money. It's about family. It's about your, your kids or whatever it's going to be. And you watch the kid. I was with him about an hour and a half. And you can literally see his brain turning. So I leave. And I said to the guy, he says, hey, he goes, man, thanks. I appreciate that. He goes, he wasn't even there. I went out to his gazebo. And he says, uh, I appreciate that. He gives me a hundred bucks. Shit, I didn't know money. hundred bucks is a hundred bucks. And he goes, can I give your number out to people? He goes, I go, yeah, I didn't mind that. I like talking to the kid. Before you know it, I'm getting calls from people and they ask him to talk to their kid or whatever. And ends up getting into the court system with my program. My program now is called the Reality Check Program. It's the number one program in the country to help young people stay out of prison. And that data, there was a quantitative analysis done on my program. And I didn't do it. Eastern Florida State College did, did it. They took the data and they did it. And I had a 90% rate of kids not going to prison, reoffending. Re 70% had better attitude, 43% had better school grade, and 31% had better school attendance. So the court systems ends up picking my program up, literally. To this day, if you get caught in Brevard County, Fort Lauderdale, South Florida, Texas, I think a place, they will sentence you to the reality check program. That means they have to take this program. Now it's all videoed. It's online. It's online. It's easily done now. I used to actually do a live class twice a month, then I, I can't do it. So now we put it on video. They have to go there. It's a court order program and it gives them a wake up call. It's my, it's a four part program that I developed that nobody else have ever developed. And the obviously the, the numbers speak for themselves. I actually testified in Congress once and one of the congressmen said to me, he goes, man, you must be very proud of your number. I said, you know, I am, but I'm more proud of the numbers I don't know. And they're looking at me. I go, how many people and young people watched my video and didn't get into the car with the kid with the drugs or didn't commit the crime or stay out late and there was a gun in the car and somebody robbed something that are all in our range? How many kids did not do that? That number's out there. I don't know it, but I'm more proud of that number, not just the number of, you know, what people are doing. Yes, you're proud of numbers, but what's the real number? I mean, we don't know. Nobody. How do you think the younger generation today compares to when you were coming up as far as, you know, believing in the foundation, respect, doing the right thing? You know, because even though you people commit crimes in New York and New Jersey and the mob, to some degree, they followed the rules in, in certain places, in certain ways of life. Do you think that happens today? Well, you know, obviously, 
I think the young generation is more of the now generation, I call. They want to be successful now. They don't want to work at it. They don't want to take advice. They don't want to, they know it all because they go on the internet. You know, when I grew up, there was no internet. There was no ESPN. There was five, six channels, I think, in New York. And two, four, five, seven, nine, eleven, and 13. And uh, whatever chat that is. And that's it. You know, there was no no internet, no cable, no ESPN, none of that. You know, you watch the football game on Sunday and it, man, I look back and I say, wow, I, I don't feel old like that. But, you know, you learn. So you had to learn from somebody. Today, a lot of the young people, they're smart. Don't get me wrong. A lot of them are very brilliant. But a lot of them, that's where it's at. And, you know, John, there's nothing, whether it's podcasting, whether it's uh, YouTube, whether I don't care what, my cigar company, whatever. You learn from experience, period. You don't learn from a book or a video. You can get a good idea, but there's mm -hmm. nothing about experience. I, you know, I have a partner. Uh, in the cigar, Sam, and we talk about that because he's 50s and his 50s, and we look about that. You know, we've come up through the streets, you know, so that there's a lot to say for that. Absolutely. I mean, when you understand different walks of life and different personalities, you realize everybody's got the same sensitivities, but they've experienced different things. And I think if you can learn that craft, that's very, very important. Well, you know what I mean? John, I, I try to tell people what's the most important thing. Two things I always say got to read. I mean, I'm, I'm an avid reader because that, and, and comprehend, of course, reading comprehension. And you have to have people skills or communication skills uh, to convey a message to, you know, say why you read people. I mean, people often say, Larry, you're a big guy. You fought a lot. And I was fighting as a kid, fought a ring, did a lot of that stuff. And uh, it wasn't the muscles or the bigness. I'm 245 pounds. Not any of that that saved me in prison because you get killed by the littlest guy. It's reading people, reading situations, finding out when something's going to happen. I mean, the littlest things of watching a piece of what people are wearing on their feet. When I used to walk into a prison, if I saw people walking around in flip-flops, I don't give a shit about this place. It's not going to be tough. You watch everybody walking around in their boots and sneakers, something's going to jump off. So mm -hmm. you get to feel. You you understand reading people is more important. It's like poker. You know, the good poker players read people. You know, mm -hmm. good, good guys from the streets read people. And you can't get that in a book. You can't get that in college. You can get that with life experiences and the places you grow up. Like you said, Jersey or something. You know, when you're with the streets, it, it, there's no replacing that. People say, ah, I grew up in the streets. Okay, that, that's survival. And you learn something. You there's to... a code, right? There's a code there that other people recognize. Hundred percent. Yeah, I think other people recognize, like, if they see you and that other guy's the same thought process, they know it, you know, and they're not going that route. A hundred percent, you know. I learned a lot from old times. Now, a lot of people say, well, but they were criminals. Yes, they were criminals. Or a lot of people were doing this nefarious things. <laughs> but tell me what CEO might not be doing that. Tell me what, uh, you know, executive of a big corporation is not doing certain things. Tell me the government's not doing certain things. Obviously, I'm not promoting crime in any way, obviously. You know, and when you look back at it, I didn't physically hurt anybody in Iraq. But I put fear in them, put guns in their faces. It was wrong. I mean, I never go on a show and ever say, oh, that was the way to go. It is what happened, and I have to tell the truth, but I'm not going to promote it and say it was the right way to go. I lost my kids. My, when I went to prison, John, my daughter was 15 months old, and I got out of prison, and she was 13. My son was seven, and I got out, and he was 18 years old. So yeah. I lost that. I can't blame anybody. can't blame the government. I blame myself, and mm -hmm. I paid for that dearly. And it's not about the money. And they took $6 million from me. So it's not about that. It's about 
what you lose with your family. I get out of prison. My dad, I'm very close. He's got Alzheimer's since past. But, you know, so you can't you can't get those years back. You can't get the time back. In fact, I'm in Florida now and I take care of my mom. She's 90. She'll be 91. So I made the choice no matter what. I will take care of my mother. And she took care of me. You know, they judged me. They knew my heart was good. They knew my soul was good. But I made stupid, crazy choices. There's no excuse why. I mean, grew up that way. Yes, all that. But, you know, what I try to tell people who say that, I said, listen, it might be harder, but you have talents that that kid who grows up in that rich family or that nice neighborhood doesn't have. You do know how to survive. Yes, there's no diff. There's no question. A kid who grows up with two doctors or whatever to a kid that grows up on the street, his mom's, you know, crackhead, dad's in jail totally different but they both have different skills and anybody can make it you talk to president of the united states whether it's obama or clinton or whoever those guys bill clinton's father was a drunk used to beat him goes to yeah. a road stop you know obama grew up by his grandmother so it can be done and you just have to convey that to him and to take no excuses you know be responsible when you're, around, when you're around some of these characters these mobsters and so forth my, believe it or not I'll, I'll tell you a funny story how small the world is is my family built north caldwell my great my uncle my great uncle was art ruffalo so art ruffalo Art Ruffalo and the Ruffalo brothers in 1951 brought the family from Newark. They built the first section in North Caldwell. Then they went up the hill in 1957 and built the second section in North Caldwell. So the people, our family was the Genentacios, Ruffalos, Sopranos, all those. The Cacnes, that area. <laughs> <laughs> and it was... It was a very, very interesting thing. You know, we did, you know, my grandmother would tell stories, be like, hey, because Alex Remicchio, the, the main family was Remicchio, and Alex Remicchio raised all the Remicchio kids, and he ran the railroads in New York and New Jersey. And that was my grandmother's brother. And he, you know, he was friends with Al Capone and all this. Al Capone came over to the house. My grandmother sat on his lap, brought Joe Lewis over, you know, all these things that we started hearing later. And, you know, right across the street from my grandmother, father was Chuck LaPerry, Eddie LaPerry, which was LaPerry name was the Sicilian side of the family. But, you know, when you're running around this environment, when it's family, it's not what you think it is. You know, how do you see the difference from the family thought process of these guys running around to the business thought process of these guys running around? And what did that look like to you? Well, you know, when I grew up, obviously you didn't just jo join a family. You had to be accepted. You have to see you're smart. They had to do a lot of things like that with that kind of family. Now it does, you know, you're growing up in the neighborhoods like I grew up in. It was mobsters, it was cops, it was sanitation people, you know, it was everybody. So, you know, the mobsters kids you, and before you know it, he's in there, and then you're around the father's house all the time. They get to know your family. And before you know it, you know, I was a hoodlum. I was a kid at 12 years old. I was a, I was running football tickets, booking tickets at 12, making 125 bucks a year in the, in the early 70s. 125 bucks in a week, you know, because I get a quarter for every ticket. So you're taking mm -hmm. $500, you know, I'm going knocking door to door, everybody, hey, you want a football ticket? And they bet them, you know, and uh, I would bring in about $500, which is 125 right off the top. And then I'm hoping they win because then you get a tip. But, you know, it, so you hustle and you learn that. 
and we were a family before we even knew what families were. You know what I mean? Like that, like the big family name. You know, the Gambinos or the Columbos or the Lucchese's or any of them. You know, uh, Genovese bananas. You, you didn't. You you become a family with the people you go. Matter of fact, I have a group of friends from the Bronx and Brooklyn that I go to lunch one Thursday every month. We'll go for lunch and we'll just bullshit and talk. We're still a family, you know I mean? I went yeah. to prison, this was I grew up with Michael Kay, who's a big New York writer, uh, still is, for the Yankees. I grew up with Doug Marone, who was a, the coach for Jacksonville Jaguars, NFL player. You know, Wayne Gurman made movies. I mean, I, I, I just, we all grew up some, now it's funny, now they talk about me and they go, hey, you know, you're on that website. I go, what were you talking about? Uh, Lehman High School. I went to Lehman High School in the Bronx, and I'm on the same website as uh, Cardi B. She went to my school, Bobby Bonilla, the, the baseball player. And uh, it's funny because we all done something. We were all a little family. We helped each other. To this day, we helped each other. And so that's our family. I consider that. Now, of course, you had your, your mom family. You had to be associated with because you need protection, you know, and you had to make money. That's just the way it was. I, I, I hate to say good. I, I hope kids don't even think. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's the way to go. Because uh, it's not. You know, I mean, they're dead or in jail. And, uh, Why do you think these families, it was all about survival. You know, and why do you think these families, you know, because one of one of our cousins, his name was Joey Lip. <laughs> and, and if you ask Joey the night before, whatever you need, he would have it at your doorstep the next day. You know, it fell off the truck. You <laughs> know? I never bought anything, John. I remember <laughs> buying underwear. You know, my father would buy underwear. Joey Mackey, I remember his name. He'd come by in his Cadillac. The trunk would open his socks and underwear. And I don't think I've ever... I mean, we didn't go to stores. There was no Walmarts or any of that. So they had a five and dime store, you know, you didn't go steal from it, you know. Uh, but it was it was a different time. So like yeah. I said, everything fell off a truck. <laughs> yeah. Now now do you know uh you know Dan Bongino down there in Florida? You know, he's no. from Long Island. Where where is he at? He's in uh I think he's in Fort Lauderdale or West Palm. And right. then some other friends of mine, Harry Oates, he does all of uh, Trump's production down at Mar-a-Lago and he's from Ron Concoma. Uh, Ron Concoma. Yeah. Dan Bongino, Dan Bongino was Gary Milius, this boy who owns Ohika Castle in Long Island and Hun- Huntington. Do you know those guys? You know, I know the one name, but I don't know them. They're, I think they're in Boca to be honest. Uh, okay. 
that's where I think they are. Because there's a bunch of people up in Boca uh, from up mm-hmm. north. And uh, obviously, South Florida is New York and Jersey. You know, they call it the mini New York, mini Jersey, and it is. So you've seen a lot of guys, a lot of mobsters. We got at it. I say got at it. We either left Florida. Back in the day, man, you could just leave. And they if they were investigating you for something. Literally, yeah. leave. <laughs> you know, now forget it. Computers, interstate stuff, the RICO. The RICO was around, but they didn't use it. They only really used it for mob people, like the bosses. I got convicted on the RICO. Uh, my, my conviction was for what they call Hobbs Act robbery which is under the rico act so they got me for a rico that's how the feds got my case and what hobbs act means is interfering with interstate commerce so you can actually rob a mcdonald's and you think what's federal about that well mcdonald's buys its potatoes from idaho so once you interfere with interstate commerce the federal government comes in and says, yeah, they can rico you they don't do it unless they want you. I was pretty big and they, they weren't, you know, I hate to say it, they weren't smart enough. The, the locals didn't have the resources and, you know, reach to really get me. And the feds do, though. I mean, I did not know how many feds were on me until I got caught. How, what do you think about Gotti when you were around him? You know, well, first of all, John Gotti had a temper, man. Uh, that, that I'll never forget. I seen him throw a glass across a restaurant. Man, I felt so bad for a kid because he only put two beans in his in, in his coffee instead of three beans, which mean health, wealth, and happy. So when you take the bean, one bean, it's like a time to fuck yourself. Obviously, the kid didn't mean, you know, when you put it in Sambuca the way they do it. But no, yeah. I felt bad for the kid. Uh, obviously, you know, everybody knows. I, I mean, you can't be parading around like you, you know, he had a license to do what he did. The downfall of him was that, obviously. But the old time is the Carl Gambinos, those guys. You know, like you're saying, you guys from the old 50s and 60s, they were quiet. They lived nice lives. They had zillions of dollars. They didn't live in mansions, mansions, but they lived very nicely. They all had new, always new Cadillacs or whatever. Caddies and Lincolns were the big thing when we were growing up. You didn't see yeah. all these crazy cars you see today. Now, what has happened, and you want to talk about the mob, the pretty much downfall of it. You know, all the guys who were somebody back in my time, they come from nothing and they were hustlers. They knew how to make money. I was like that. Kids today, they grew up rich, you know, and their fathers, the moms, they fucking rich, college, they got cars at 16, they got shit. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and they don't know how to earn. They don't, and they don't get the respect from people. And obviously the feds have dismantled a lot. But even besides that, you know, there's still tough kids out. Don't get me wrong. In fact, I think it's more dangerous now than it is in my time because you had to do something to get killed. Today, they, 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 these hotheads and, you know, maybe they're drunk. They don't value life. The what? They don't value life at all. Absolutely, John. They don't value life. And when you look at that, you say to yourself, I mean, they, they, they want to just make a name for themselves, you know? They don't, they don't understand the long implications of the family or of the heat coming down on people or them going to prison for life. You know what I mean? They, they're just morons. And that comes from not having that hustle mentality, you know? Mm-hmm. And listen, how can you be a boss? How can you be somebody and tell somebody how to do something when you don't even understand it? I mean, whether it's hijacking, whether it's rob. I mean, we did everything. I used to rob cars when I was 15, you know, and <laughs> what license? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, in the Bronx. So, and, and Jersey, you talk about Jersey. We used to go down Elizabeth, you know? Elizabeth, yeah. And, and drop drop cars off and shit like that. Actually, cars were getting shipped overseas back then. You know, literally, we had a person in the, in the motor vehicle. They would change the VIN numbers on the titles, make a legit car, they check the title. Boom, the cars in, you know, Saudi Arabia, the cars over Europe, something. 
you know, and there was a big profit to that. I mean, I told it, every, everything comes to an end, and at least crime. It does. Did you, did you ever hear a story? I had uh, we had Henry Hill's life rights uh, after Goodfellas, okay, eighties, eighties, eighties two, and it's about when he was in witness protection. And they said, you know, when he got arrested, and I think the time Gotti was a henchman. When he got arrested, you know, they wanted him for Latanza Heist. But when he started talking, he indicted probably 40 or 50 capos that took a lot of the Italians out where a henchman like Gandhi was able to move in, move up pretty quickly. Do you think there was any truth to that? Because they wanted him for the robbery, but then he started talking about all these other things where a lot of guys got in trouble. Is there any truth to that? Well, you know, what I even remember, I remember Lutens, I was about 17, I think it was. I mean, we knew kind of where it was and what happened. I mean, we all knew the airport. I mean, everybody brought up from the airport. Kennedy was a big money money thing for everybody. Uh, but <laughs> I have funny stories about that. But I had Michael Francis on my show, and uh, we talked about that. And Henry really was a... He was a drug addict guy, you know. He was connected. He was kind of like, but he, he was like a fucking weasel, you know. They portrayed him a lot different than a lot of people knew of him that I know. I didn't know him, but I know of, of that whole crew. But... Mm -hmm. That's when I was running around. I remember I was going to collect money from Nicky Barnes. Nicky Barnes was in Harlem at the time, heroin. And Nicky Barnes ended up flipping, obviously. He was the king of Harlem. Man, I remember being in a train once when the blackout, and, and I got off at 125th Street, Lexington Avenue, in the subway. It's a black New York City black guy. You can look it up. I think 77. And, uh, boy, Harlem was a rough place, man. Obviously, that's where a lot of people went down to get drugs, heroin. A hard drug down there you know of course then you had the westies you know i mean i knew some of them i, I knew jimmy coonan you know roy demio and that crew and they had all they had the westies a little bit and and that started fading off too you know because a lot of people got busted that's when you know the late 70s and is when in 80s was when the uh the feds or people started hit, hitting the drugs hard because there was a lot of overdoses and obviously you know after vietnam in 75 or whatever it was they came back heroin was just huge and i mean i remember i was a kid and i remember people overdosing all the time and it was just wow it was crazy time interesting well, when you look back at everything, would you do anything different? You know, people ask me that. That's a great question, John. I have to say no, because I think the path we take, you become who you are because of the path you take. Good, bad, you know, or different. Of course, Bill Gates once said, would you do difference if you had it? Of course you would. You're not going to make the mistakes you did, whatever they are. But to say, you know, the path it is. Would I, would I had the kids I have, would I've had the education? I'm, you know, I got my law degree, I got a lot of things now. I mean, it's hard to say. Of course, I wouldn't want to hurt people. I mean, I, I always say, and I never hurt anybody who wasn't in my business, if that makes sense. And I was a violent guy. I mean, I used to lay guys' arms on curbs, snap them. It was just a little crazy. I think I had a fucking screw loose. But, you know, I, I never hurt a civilian. If you want to call it that, yeah. I never, you know, I wouldn't do that. I mean, I, I can't stand people pick on women. I can't stand any bully, you know, bully me. You might beat me, but you know what's going to happen. So, mm -hmm. you know, don't, you know, bullies just bully people they can bully. Hit a woman. Listen, I don't hit women. I don't have to prove that this 245 pound guy can knock out a woman. I don't care. Yeah. 
I tell a woman also, John, don't put your hands on me because then I'm going to treat you like a man, you know? And I never had that issue with my, my uh, wives. Very good relationships with my ex-wives. I mean, I lost them because of the life I lived in the prison time I had to go. So, and that's just the way life was. So, I, I, I don't think I would do things. I mean, what am I going to say? Oh, yeah, I'd love to be a doctor. I'd like to be a, a, a fucking great surgeon or some shit. But it's not yeah. to me. I talk on my hands too much. I'm looking at you. That's typical New York. Now your family. Now your family. Where was your mom and dad from? Did you? Did you? My mom and dad from New York. My mom and dad from my mom actually from Canada. She actually went through school all the way to high school in Canada in Saint Laurent, Montreal. And my dad from New York City. You know, no Irish background, so I couldn't have been a maid man or anything. But listen, what did you say? Irish, German, Irish, uh, Bulgarian. My dad. My mom's French Canadian. And gotcha. said that, and you know, I did ancestry, and you know, that's that's where I was, and uh, I found out some crazy shit in that ancestry. My relatives came from Canada, that side of him, and they went to New Hampshire, and one of them owned a jewelry store. <laughs> so that's funny. And I was robbing jewelry stores. One of them, way back, was a murderer that killed her two or three husbands, and they keyhole keyhole. You know, keyholing mm-hmm. when they take rope. And they put you like this, and they drag you under a boat with the barnacles and kill you that way. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, like, what? I mean, you know, you read some of the stuff, and uh, pretty wild. Well, the reason I reason I get into that, do you think you carried? I'm a clairsentient, and I read people. Do you think you? you carry some some darkness with you from your childhood or was some stuff carried over that you know kind of made you had a little anger that you kind of helped with what you're doing you know john there's no question i didn't know it till i got older actually when i wrote the book it was the hardest thing in my book i was abused as 11 years old in the catholic church and uh, listen i don't i'm not i'm not religious at all but i don't hate like Every person that was a video cat, I don't go to church. I remember what happened. Remember everything. As a matter of fact, my, my co-writer, Peter Goldenbach, who's a seven-time bestseller, a couple of psychologists used to say, well, that's when you really went off the rails. You know, you're 12 years old. You were running the streets. You had a lot of violence, you know, a lot of anger, and like you said, violence and stuff. Now, do yeah. I blame that? You know, no. I don't look at it like, oh, I'm going to hate everybody in the world. I down deep, I'm sure I did, and I'm sure I acted out to be a man or to be, you know, whatever happens. And but I don't, I don't look at it now. I mean, definitely not now. I mean, you know, I, I always accept the responsibility. But I remember I started getting crazy. I got kicked out of Catholic school. I you know, fighting in the streets, robbing and, and stealing up down the avenue, and a lot of things. So I think my violent streaks probably come I mean, listen we all fought in the streets though john i mean that was something we did you know that if you're from up jersey area people fight quickly you know yeah they just it was fight but you know it was a little better too we, we didn't shoot people because you lost you fought yeah i remember chains i remember certain other shit but it wasn't like it is you know today i mean every kid will have a gun and just pull it out and shoot you you know yeah because they're scared that's the problem with law enforcement, John. Law enforcement, when I grew up, cops would fucking take their belt off, put it in a car and fight you. Uh, we had respect. Uh, mm-hmm. Today, I think a lot of cops are scared. If I, I teach the police academy. I'm an honorary police officer in, in, in St. Louis. And I, I taught the police academy. I asked the people, you know, the whole class, I don't know, 40 people. I said, how many of you have been in a fight? Did you know 
less than half percentage of that whole class has ever been in a fight. So how can you not be in a fight and be a cop? They're scared. And yeah. what do they do when they're scared? They pull, they're taught how to use a gun. They're taught how to use this. And, you know, before you know it, listen, I don't care who you are as a cop. You pull out a gun, there's only two two choices. Shoot the person or get it taken away from you. Because if you pull out a gun, there's one hand that's dead. You can't fight. You can't do anything. You know, it should be the last resort. I mean, the last resort. But no, you'll see it all the time. And I really believe that has a lot to do with them not being street street guys, street small. You know, when I grew up, they used to cops to beat our ass. And, you know, but they were also different, maybe less social media, less cameras. I mean, I remember driving my car at 17 years old and cops drinking, stops me, knows who you are in the neighborhood, fucking puts you in the car, brings you to your mother, gives her the keys. Says, Miss Lawton, if I see him out tonight, I put him in jail. His car is over here. Here's the keys. Yeah. You know, and, and then you look back now, you can never get a break like that. You know, yeah. and I just think cops should be parts of communities. And I mean, literally part of a community. And and I think a big problem with law enforcement, I talk about this on a lot of shows, is they're holding these kids to too high of a degree, meaning this. Oh, he got arrested for pot. He can't be a cop. Are you fucking kidding me? I want that guy. How about a kid who got arrested because he's in the apartment and his mother and father would have whatever, and he gets arrested for being in there and now he's like a minor wreck. They really should take those kids. Those would be the best cops in the world if they ever apply. Yeah. Because they're going to take care of serious shit. And, you know, I listen, I support. I call, I call that the country club syndrome. You know, and know why? Go ahead. Well, one thing I realized about rich people, especially up north, is, is if you've been rich for 20, 30 years, you go to the city, you come back, you go to the country club. You do that for 30 years. Every time you walk into the country club, they praise you. You're the best thing since sliced bread. And then even though they are, they're very, very rich, they're very naive to society and they don't know the real world. So true. So you know, true. that is so true. And you get these kids who apply for police officers and they're the ones I used to take their lunch money, you know, and now they got a bad <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the, their bravado and they, they 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 take it out really there's a hiring problem i think with police and obviously there's reasons for that one of them is let's face it they don't pay them enough i mean they don't pay these guys they can't raise a family like who wouldn't steal see drug money in a trunk and you make such little money you can't even i mean you know you're trying to do whatever i don't even blame them i hate to say that i mean fuck. yeah i mean listen pay them a decent salary pay teachers salaries that matter and then you'd have better uh, applicants. You'd have people want the job. And listen, it's an honorable profession. And I tell people, that, listen, as much as I'll rail certain cops and do everything, I, good cops are good cops. And you know what? If your house is called, if your house is robbed, John, what do you do? Do you call 411 or 911? Call yeah. 911. You know, 411. A lot of people don't even know what 411 is today. You know, <laughs> the yeah. young kids. I ask them, you know what 411 is? What's that? So that's information. You call the phone. They go, what are you yeah. talking about? <laughs> yeah. Well, Larry, well, where can we find the book? Just Google on any of my videos, any of my books. In the description is a link to the book. It's all over the places. It's, it's on internet. It's it, We sell. Don't get hooked in. I really like to tell people. I sell that book It's because we're putting new chaps in. It'd be 23 bucks or 24 bucks. Don't go. You'll see my book online for $200, $100. And people got them reselling because I didn't print for a while. And don't get hooked in that. So you can go to one of our my website. It's the Reality Chick program. They can get it there. And or again, any one of my videos clicks it. It goes right to the day and the book goes out. And the title, give us the title of the book so everybody knows. It's Gangster Redemption. It's the name is Gangster Redemption. 
Matter. Fact, it's a good one. Cool. And the book cool. actually says how America's most notorious jewel robber got rich, got caught, and got his life back on track. And I often tell that, John, because I got out of prison, John, penniless, didn't know what I was going to do at 46. People can change. Don't ever think. I mean, you know, I, I, I was on a board with the federal government, and I was at a meeting, and I had one cop say, ask some of the kids you got to give up on. Man, I got mad. I slammed my phone on the desk, got up. So what are you talking about? Look at my record, and I'm here sitting with you guys. Mm -hmm. Don't give up on these kids. I can't stand that. I don't care what the kid did. You don't know his situation. Give these kids. You know, America was built on second chances, don't you? Whatever it takes. But don't give up. And if I can change and work hard, and I still work, I love working. If I can do it, anybody can do it. And it, it kind of pisses you off with me that, especially when I get young people that go, Oh, I'm 30. I can't do it. Are you, are you kidding me? Get off your ass. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know how old you are. You know, when you're 20, you think you know it all. When you hit 30, you look back. Man, I was pretty stupid at 20. When you hit yeah. 40, you look back. Man, I didn't know shit at 30. When you hit 50, you say, damn, I haven't going to learn anything. And then when you hit 60, yeah. now you go, freak, I'm still learning all the time. The minute yeah. you stop learning, you don't. Well, I think there's a lot of bad choices. You know, just because you make a bad choice doesn't make you a bad person. And I think there's more people out there out there like that are labeled that inhibits them from moving forward. And I think that labeling needs to be considered because I think you can look at people and find that guy where there's the ones that make one or two bad choices then there's ones that you just know he's not crossing back over. You know, they are that personality that you can recognize. And those are the ones that don't cross back over and they're going to stay on that side. Because if you don't cross back over at a certain age, you stay on that side. You know, John, that's so true. I talked to talk about I was in Atlanta Penitentiary. We had 2,000 inmates. 880 had life. Out of that 880, 200 fight their case league. 400 who have life. They get a lover, they live their life, whatever crazy shit. There's other 200 are total psychopaths. And I'd never want to see those guys out of prison because mm -hmm. they're going to kill somebody. They don't give, you know, they got some really, really fucked up shit. So <laughs> I agree with you with that, you know. Yeah. But people change and people have to know that. They change. Well, we'll bring this thing in to a close here and I appreciate you coming on the show Larry it's been a great conversation hopefully whoever's listening out there can learn something from this conversation and apply that to their life and uh, yeah man I appreciate you coming on the show this has been Mr. Larry Lawton and I am John Edmonds Cosma the CEO of Bang Productions thank you very thank much you. John I appreciate your time and, and keep up the good work even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.